0: All right, you can open up to Galatians uh, chapter five. We'll go ahead and get started. How's everyone doing today? Yeah? Yeah? I'll be happy to know that I'm wearing a different pair of pants this week. They're less holy. I thought that that would be nice for you all. Always good to begin on an awkward note. Let's go ahead and and pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given us, Lord, to spend together. And Lord, what a blessing it is to be here with my brothers and sisters, to get into your word. Lord, to sit at your feet and to see what you would have to say to us. I pray, Lord, that you would do that uh, here today. That we would all leave here receiving something special and significant from you, Lord, encouraged by you, more in love with you. And for that, Lord, I praise you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Okay, so last week we talked about uh, tending our gardens, uh, breaking up the fallow ground of our heart, that hard soil that used to be uh, fruitful that used to be fertile and the prophet exhorted us, right? And Hosea said last week, flee from the cozy comfort of your house and out into your fields to do the necessary work to break up the ground so that God's seed can take root. And from that seed can come this worthwhile crop. And we learned how to do that, right? And he tells us how to do that. He says, just seek the Lord. And in the simplicity of that, just opening your eyes to him and drawing close to him. And the promise along with that, that he will rain down upon us, that he'll bring new life to us. Fresh fruit will come from us. And now it's that fruit that that I, I desire to discuss this week. Oh, you're a wobbly one, aren't you? Um, what it looks like, what it tastes like, and what it's good for. And we did the difficult week, work last week, and, and, and now, the, now it's time to, time to take in the harvest, time to uh, taste the fruit, and, and it's a glorious fruit that we have before us. Let me give you your three points for the message if you're a note-taker this week, and, and I, I think you'll, you'll find it beneficial to organize your thoughts according to these three points. Uh, The first point is going to be the flavor of the fruit. So your first point, if you're writing it down, the flavor of our fruit. The second point will be the function of our fruit. And then the third point is the application of our fruit. Uh, I was talking about this last night with Boo. We were out getting uh, Thai food and we're sitting there and she was like, you know, we're talking about the message. And I was like, so I got my three points figured out. And, and so it's, it's the, it's, it's the flavor, it's the function and the application. And just a, a, a queer look fell over her face and just a sour, sour appearance, you know, upon her. And she looked at me and it was like, you couldn't think of a, another word that began with the letter F. I mean, it's just, <laughs> the, the, you know, you went for the flavor to the function to the application. And, and she, and, but, but I looked in a thesaurus, actually. I was so hung up on this point And it bothered me deeply that I couldn't find another word that started with the letter F that could be an acceptable synonym for application. If you can think of it, please don't share it with me, uh, because <laughs> that'll drive me absolutely crazy. And, and she, she she said, well, why don't you just put an F at the beginning of application? You know, you can call it fablication or something and and maybe we'll do that, you know, for the message. So if you want to organize your notes that way, that's perfectly acceptable with me. We'll be discussing the flavor, the function, and the fablication of of the fruit of the spirit. And if you're in Galatians chapter five, we're gonna begin with the flavor of the fruit in the twenty second verse. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. Against such, there is no law. It's common to hear preachers say that that since fruit is singular, right, and and then the description of the fruit is plural, that that this is talking uh, about, uh, you know, that that the fruit of the Spirit is really just love and that all these other things are, are, are just a description of love. And, and, and let me say that that's, that's, that's a fine teaching. That's a good teaching, right? And, and that's, that's not wrong according to what we know about love in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, right? You have that love chapter and all these things are in there, aren't they? All these things accurately define what love is. Let me say, you know, just when you're reading the Bible, often the most uh, simple or basic interpretation is probably the right one. And I'll tell you when I describe something, I I rarely use one word, though it might be just one thing. You know, when I go to Jack in the Box and I have a taco, and and I find myself talking about Jack in the Box often in messages. Let me apologize for that. If you're not a fan of Jack in the Box, I'll pray for you that you see the light because uh, they are fantastic. But but if I were to go there and have a taco and I bit into that jack-in-the-box taco, I would not say crunchy and then just walk away and leave it at that. Because let me tell you, crunchy isn't the whole story. I was talking to, to Linda Dimbleby about this. I think it was last Sunday. Linda, are you somewhere here, maybe? I don't know. Or you're hiding now that I mentioned your name. I'm sorry. This must be uncomfortable for you. Everybody turn and look at Limba. Um But I was talking to her about this last Sunday, and, and, and there's a woman that appreciates the finer things in life. And and she was just telling me how much she loves Jack-in-the-Box tacos as well. There's just something glorious and mysterious about Jack-in-the-Box tacos. They're at the same time the most delicious and disgusting thing in the world. And, and, and you know, if I were to bite into that Jack-in-the-Box taco, I would say crunchy but it's so much more than crunchy, isn't it? You bite into it and I'd go crunchy, but but it's also at the same time gooey, isn't it? And it's mystery meaty and American (laughs) cheesy and let's be honest, delightfully greasy. It's all those things working together in beautiful harmony as if it's a symphony written by the hands of God himself. (laughs) It's a beautiful thing. And now the spirit of God is moving upon Paul as he pens these pages. And he says, the fruit of the spirit, the fruit that comes forth from that good seed, you bite into it and it's sweet. Ah, So sweet. That's the first flavor that grabs you. But there's all these other notes and tastes and aftertastes that come along with it. All these flavors that are part of this fruit that just come pouring out of it when you sink your teeth into it, each one working together in beautiful harmony. But the most important one maybe, and and the flavor at the forefront definitely, is love. It's the first sweet flavor that comes forth from the fruit that grabs our attention and our affection and Hosea said last week, it's time to break up the fallow ground. It's time to sow the seeds. It's time for the rain to come and water down upon us. It's time for this fruit to spring up from us. And it's not something that we can do you know, in and of ourselves. It's not something that I would say, you know, go out there and you need to bear fruit. You know, that would be like me looking at myself in the mirror and saying, you need to grow. Let's be honest, that's not going to happen anymore. It's something that's in God's hands alone. He's going to rain down, and when he does, he will bring forth his fruit. It can only come from him. It is flavored by him with the perfect love of him. That's what this fruit is all about. And it's time to bring forth fruit. and the fruit is all about love. You know, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Ecclesiastes is a book that that we're all familiar with after having gone through it with Sam. You know, Solomon begins Ecclesiastes chapter 3 uh, by saying that there's a time for everything. There's a season for every activity under heaven. Hosea screams out, it's time. It's time. And there's a sense of urgency about it that we considered last week. And you couple that with Solomon. And Solomon says, there's a time to be born, and there's a time to die. There's a time to plant, and there's a time to uproot. There's a time to kill, there's a time to heal. There's a time to tear down. There's a time to build up. There's a time to weep. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to dance. There's a time to scatter stones There's a time to gather them. There's a time to embrace. Time to refrain. There's a time to search. And there's a time to give up. There's a time to keep. There's a time to throw away. There's a time to tear. There's a time to mend. There's a time to be silent. There's a time to speak. And there's a time to love and a time to hate. There's a time for war and a time for peace. You know, the Lord impressed upon my heart all week as I contemplated the conclusion of this two-week deviation. You know, why break up the fallow ground? Why bring forth fruit? And I think it's because at the forefront of that fruit, the first flavor that bursts forth when hungry teeth penetrate its waiting surface is love and Solomon said there's a time to love you know because of what Jesus did on the cross our time for war is over we're not at war with them anymore he's brought in what Solomon said which is this time of peace And so as a result of this time of peace, for us, it should be a time to love. Solomon says there's a time to love, and I think that now is that time. So first, the flavor of the fruit and its love. And second, the function of the fruit and its salvation. Our second point becomes the function and its salvation. Now, the question, are we saved by our fruit? Does God look out upon us and say, oh, you're a, you're a fruity lot of folks, and as good for you that you've done such good things and borne such good fruit, and now you're saved as a result of it? It always comes out a little bit Irish when I yell, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't know why that is. Um, <laughs> but No. We're not saved by that. So how is it that the function of our fruit is for salvation? You know, one of the girls that I uh, that I tutor every Saturday, she uh, brought in her Bible yesterday. And she goes to a Christian high school, and she had a paper to write for her theology class. And of all the things that her paper could have been on, it was on abiding in the vine. It was on this whole idea of, of staying connected to God, that as a result of seeking God and your relationship with God, this fruit will naturally come forth in your life. It was based on John chapter 15, a verse that we haven't talked about at all, but you'll find this idea all over the Bible uh, of of this this idea of fruitfulness. And out of curiosity, I asked her, why? Why do we produce fruit in our Christian life? Why is it something that God is so concerned with that he writes it all over the books of the Bible? Why does God care about it so, so much? And why is it so important for us? And, and the answer came from her, and it was a simple one, but, but I think it'll be a common one. And, and she just said, well, because he wants us to have a good life, right? And this fruitful life is a good life. And I think that, that's probably part of it. Right? This fruitful life is a great life. And, and, and you know, maybe you'll see it on the cover of books with smiling pastors saying that it's your best life. You know, and, and that you can have it now. And it's time for you to have that life now. And this is going to be a part of that life now. But I'll never forget John Corson. Uh, you know, belting out and booming as only John Corson could do in the, song, uh, the, the book Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 16. And Song of Solomon 4.16 says, Awake, north wind. And some of you just woke up from your slumber. God bless you. Welcome back to church. And come, south wind. It says, blow on my gardens. And that's you and me, isn't it? We've been tending those gardens last week, and now the fruit is coming forth from those gardens this week. He says, blow on those gardens, that its fragrance may spread abroad. And I love this. He says, let my lover come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. And then the next verse, which begins the next chapter, you have the, 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 those that are loved by God coming from all over the world, pouring into God's garden and absolutely devastating it trampling all over it, picking every last fruit that grows in it and just devouring it. God called them. He said, come, my lovers. Come from the north. Come from the south. Come from anywhere. Come from all over. Come into my garden and pick off this fruit. I love you and I have preserved this fruit just for you. And and here it is. Our fruit doesn't exist for us. It's a shocking revelation, isn't it? Like, ah, another thing snatched away from me. I thought it was for me. I thought I could taste it. It's love. And I love me. When when people don't hug me, I can hug myself. And (laughs) Sam, there's a solution. I saw a lady at work doing that the other day. It disturbed me thoroughly. Our fruit doesn't exist for us. It exists for everybody else. And it was always meant to be a beacon that would draw the world into his garden. It was meant to be the only real place that we can come and find this kind of love. That they, his lovers, would come because they're fascinated by this fruit. And when it falls upon their lips, it would open their eyes. Their ears would be ready to hear and their hearts would be ready to receive. Our garden was meant to be a fulfillment of Romans 2.4. And you can write down the text. Romans 2.4 says that it's the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, that it's, the, that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. That's what they were all supposed to find here in our gardens When they taste our fruit, the function was to be for their salvation. It's not for us to tend our gardens, uproot our weeds, break up our soil, and then sit back and look out the window at our gardens and say, oh, what a beautiful garden I have. So quiet and peaceful and wonderful. Oh, it's just beautiful and lovely, and I just love it the way it is, and what an accomplishment I have. No, it, it was, it was the, 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 the same man that says that there is a time for love that shouts at us and says, throw open the gates of your garden and let the world pour in because that's the point of it in the first place. How else will they come to know the love of God unless they taste it upon our fields that is supposed to be full of it? lest they sink their teeth into it and the fruit drips from their lips. And they say, this is where it's at. And I've come from all over searching for it my whole life, not finding it everywhere. I found it here. It's in God's garden. And and these people that God loves, he says, come and you'll taste it there. You'll taste it. You'll taste how much I love you. But now the application, and and if you like fapplication. and it's all about our fruit, and it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> and I I I wrote this part, and and then I, and then I highlighted the whole thing, and then I was like maybe I should just get rid of that. But after all, it. It was born out of uh, an, an experience I had this week. And on Thursday, I had a two-hour break in my schedule. And I didn't have any clients scheduled during that time. And one of my coworkers had the same dilemma. So we decided to uh, retreat to the nearest Starbucks to indulge in a cup of black coffee together. Which, by the way, is the only way to take coffee. And um, and he might be listening to this on on iTunes. Uh, sometime in the future. So if that's the case, then future Andrew, I hope this message finds you well. God bless you. Um, We're sitting across from each other uh, out there in the patio area of the Starbucks and we're talking about books and we're talking about politics and uh, we're talking about relationships and the conversation turns to religion. And I could tell that our conversation was already making the ladies behind him very uncomfortable. Um, But but not thinking of what's best for them and really just thinking of what's best for myself. Out of curiosity, I asked him how he felt about Christianity. And uh, let me say, especially if he is listening, I have nothing but respect for this man. He is one of the smartest people that I've ever known. And he's a little bit younger than me, so it really sticks in my craw. Um, (laughs) But he said after a moment's hesitation, you know, to collect his thoughts and maybe to think of a way to answer the question that wouldn't be disrespectful to me, because after all, he knows me, and I did just buy him a cup of coffee. Um, (laughs) He finally said, you know, I I think that Christianity, like all religion, is a mass delusion. He said, you know, er, religion has been used to justify wars. Religion has been used to defend slavery. It's been used to oppress women. Christianity specifically has shown nothing but hate to the homosexual community. You know, Many Christians say that Haiti got its just desserts when they were devastated by an earthquake. They say that Africa is being ravaged by AIDS because they're under the judgment of God. The Crusades, the Inquisitions, I could go on. And Christianity has an ugly history. And it's a history in many regards of hate rather than of love. And I can't argue with that. And I wouldn't because it's true. And he isn't the only one that sees it. And that's why I'm bringing it up. And that's why I left it in the message. Because all these people that Solomon says are loved by God, many of them aren't drawn to the garden because they see this thing too. You know, they don't see fruit dripping with love, and it's not the kindness of God that draws them in. They, they see, uh, and, and they smell the stench of rotten fruit, and it repels them. They see fruit that is black and swollen with hatred and judgment. And in a world still curious and peering over the fence at us to see what's upon the fields in our garden, they, they find pious fruit that has little to do with strangers and even less appeal to them. And I said, Andrew, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to try and persuade you. All I can tell you is this, this. This thing was never supposed to happen biblically, and it's not even the way it was in the second century. And then I shared with him a story And it's a story that I want to share with you as we make our way towards our conclusion ever so slowly. Um, You see, the world is always peering over our fence in curiosity to sneak a peek at this fascinating fruit that grows in our garden. And in the second century, it was the emperor Trajan. And, And he sent out his proxy, Pliny the Younger, to pluck up two fruit-bearing Christians at random. And so that's exactly what he did. Snatched up two Christian women. And his task was to interrogate them. And after all, it was the second century and Christianity was somewhat new and it was just spreading wildly. And it had come to the attention of the emperor and, and it was considered a threat uh, to the empire and And so he interrogated these two women. He tortured them. And eventually, when he had come to the conclusion concerning their fruit, he killed them. And after their execution, he wrote a short letter that he sent back to the emperor. And it said simply this. I've found nothing but a dismissible sort of cult carried to extravagant lengths they simply love one another. And I said, "That's what it was always supposed to be about, Andrew. That's what it was always supposed to be in our garden. that when the world bit into us to gain an opinion about us, when they gained all there is to know about us, it was supposed to be the story of love. It was supposed to be that love that burst through the surface and overwhelmed everything else. It, it was supposed to dance upon their palate and, and overwhelm their senses to leave them with a lasting memory of a love that transcends every other human experience because it's a love that only comes from God. He said they simply love one another. You know, Jesus said, this is how they'll know that you're my disciples. This is how the world will know that you're my people, is your love for one another. This is what it should mean to be a Christian. This should be our report and reputation. That when they're sitting around sipping coffee and talking to one another, that, that they can be asked, what are your thoughts about Christianity? And they would well say, I don't know much about those people, but I do know this, that they, they love one another. And I love the story and I told it to Andrew and and then I said what I usually say when I tell this story that that what I really want is for the Pliny the Younger of our day not to say they love one another, but just to simply say they love. Period. End of story. Because that's who God is, and that's how God feels. He just loves. And he exhorts us to do the same in his word, over and over again. You know, last night uh, at about uh, one in the morning, I concluded the message here, and and I couldn't sleep. And maybe I should have just left the message alone here. Maybe some of you are like, I know we're 15 minutes early, but that Jack in the Box taco sounded really good. <laughs> um, I won't keep you much longer. I promise. But it felt like there was something obvious and honest missing from our fabrication, And it is something that I uh, felt as if I would be doing a disservice if I left out. Because you and I both know that it's not that easy, is it? Um, it's not easy to love everyone all the time. It's easy to love some people some of the time. But even my favorite people, I find it difficult to love all the time. Uh, because people are just a nasty, wicked, unlovable bunch of folks. <laughs> and I know because I'm one of them. <laughs> and maybe some of you find it difficult to love me. You shouldn't because I'm delightful. <laughs> but I find I find that the more I know someone, uh, the easier it is to not love them. The closer I get to them, the more information I have about them. And you're shaking your head. Thank you for being honest in church. Isn't that what we're supposed to do here? All the rest of you are like, psh, not me. Love everyone. I am the beacon of love in the garden. Get over yourself. <laughs> the closer I get, the more information I gather. It, it gets harder. And and people begin. I mean, even the best of people begin to let their guard down, and they could be disrespectful, you know, or unappreciative, or just downright rude. And, and and we all feel it from time to time. Some people, you know, you just want to pull back your good fruit and just give them a heaping helping of rotten fruit, and just say, "Here you go, because you deserve it." Now, now let me. Let me ask, how easy would it be for God to not love every last one of us? You know, last week we talked about the omnipresence of God, right? How he's, how he's everywhere. Uh, this week, let's talk about the omniscience of God. Because of the omniscience of God, he knows everything. <laughs> he knows everything about everyone. And because he knows everything about us, it would be very easy for him to not love us, but he does. Romans 5.8 says that God proves his love for us in that while we were still just gnarly, little unlovable sinners, he died for us. He knew us through and through. He knew the quiet wickedness of our hearts, and he says, I know you, and I love you, with a perfect love. And if you are my people and the fruit born upon your soil is the product of me raining down my grace upon you, then this is the fruit that will come forth from you. It will be a fruit that results in love without discrimination or hesitation. It will be fruit that is free for all people, no matter who they are or where they're at in their walk of life. And I'll end with this. I know we have 10 minutes left and and some of you are like, 10 minutes cannot go by quick enough. I never learned how to swim. And as a result of that, I, 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 I'm not fond of water. And I'm not saying that I'm afraid of water. And Some of you you know, already start looking down your noses at me. He's afraid of water. No, I'm not afraid of water. I, I take a shower and, <laughs> and I drink water. I'm very familiar with water. <clears throat> if sprinklers are on, I'll run through them. That's a blasty. Why not, you know? Uh, I don't like drowning. (laughs) Can any of you argue with me on that? Like, sissy, doesn't like drowning? No, I mean, drowning is terrible. That seems like the worst thing ever. And because I don't know how to swim, and I don't like drowning, I stay out of deep water. And now, uh, invariably, when this point comes up, there's at least one person that thinks that they can do me a real great service in life by teaching me how to swim. You know, and and they come up to me after, you know, I talk about this, and they're like, bro, you don't know how to swim. You need to learn how to swim. I will teach you how to swim. Bro, the beach now. And a week later, I find myself with flailing arms in the water somewhere, you know, screaming out, you know, in, 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 you know, terror as a lifeguard is racing down the beach into the water to save me. And maybe some of you have been there. And maybe, may I ask you the question? Did that lifeguard who swam out out to you carry with him a clipboard and a questionnaire to evaluate if your life was one worth saving while you were drowning? he swims out to me and I'm gasping for air and I'm going under and I'm screaming at him and he says, sir, sir, I need you to quiet down. I have a couple of questions to, to ask you and you're already being very rude, okay? You're screaming, you're interrupting me. First question. And touches his pen. Does anyone actually do that with their? I've done it once. It works. It really does. Try that when you get home. Um, First question: Are you polite? He puts a check there. You're already interrupting me. You're very rude. Okay, you're not polite. Clearly, are you peaceful? Are you pleasant? Are you gracious? Will you be grateful? No, while I'm drowning, I'm kicking and screaming and crying and yelling. I'm a, I'm a nasty, gnarly little creature. I am the worst version of me at that moment. And he knows that if he gets close to me with my thrashing arms going wildly, there's a good chance that he'll get hurt. And it's dangerous. But he swims out there to save me nonetheless. He reaches out to me and he pulls me out of the water. So the world, the world needs the love of God now. Maybe more than any other time. Because the world is thrashing about in the water, drowning. He says, I want you to get over what you think of them. I need you to stop being so critical of them. I need you to put away your clipboard and stop evaluating them. I just want you to love them. And the fruit that's upon your fields, it's all for them. The best of your crop, push forward to them. You know, I, I really didn't know how to end the, the message at this point, so I thought I'd end with a prayer request. And, and maybe it'll become your prayer request too. I want God to throw open my gates. I want God to throw open the gates of this church. And I want the world to pour in. And when they do, I want them to find this love here. I want them to find a field full of it. I want them to be free to trample over me in order to get it. I want them to take everything out of me, if it takes that, for them to taste it. They, they can kick, they can scream, they can thrash about, they can make it impossible for anyone to love them. And at that point, I want God to remind me of who I am. Because God knew everything about me and loved me anyways. Because there was a time when I was outside of those gates, and, and God was saying, I love you. And I have a feast for you in here. I have fresh fruit for you in here. And I came in and I was mean and nasty. I was drowning in an ocean of sin. I was the worst version of me. And I'm sure it wasn't easy to love me. And when I bit into believers all around me, I didn't taste the bitter notes of judgment and condemnation. I bit in and love came pouring out. And it was a flavor that I longed for. It was a flavor that I had only imagined up to that point but never experienced. It was the love of God through the people of God. If it's time for anything now, It's a time for love. It's a time for people to sit around at Starbucks and talk about us, as they did in the second century, and say, all I know about those Christians is that they love. And I want that to be our testimony and legacy. Let's go ahead and end in a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I lift this request up to you. Lord, we spent two weeks now breaking up that fallow ground, that hard ground, so that you can pour down upon us, so that through that you could bring about fruit that is worthwhile in us, fruit that is bursting with your love for this world that you love Lord you called them from everywhere in the world from the north and from the south and they're peering over the fences to see what kind of fruit we've got I pray that in me I pray that in us they would find fruit that can only come from the Father fruit that has nothing but your agape love in it. A love that knows all. And that loves completely. Without a moment's hesitation. Without a single reservation. You offer it to us. Lord, I thank you. And I praise you for that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.